Open your Bible to Mark chapter number 1, the Gospel according to Mark, Matthew, Mark, second book in the New Testament, the second testimony, the, the testimony that you and I are under. And I've got about five different titles written down for this sermon, so I'm, I'm just going to go without one because it's too, there's too much pressure for me to pick one. Uh, so what I want to talk about this morning, though, is why we fish, why we go after uh, the fish, so to speak, in the world today. So many times in our lives, uh, uh, people fall into different categories, uh, and you may be in one of them, where you, you live for God all the days of your life, or maybe you, you're saved, but you're kind of one foot in, one foot out, or maybe you're uh, completely on another category where you're seeking, you're trying to figure out what is God like, what is Jesus like, why do people talk about Him so much, why in the world would I get up on Sunday morning and go to a movie theater to listen to a guy in a suit and tie say something, why would I do that, I'm just trying to figure it out, I'm trying to feel it all out, well, here's the scenario just stick with me for a few minutes because we're going to take a long route to get there but we're going to come back and we're going to figure out why in the world it's important for you to understand who Jesus is and why it's important for you and for me Christians to be serious about the idea of preaching lots of us have a relationship with God and, and, and it's and it's a wonderful thing matter of fact you may even remember the place and the time and the moment where you were first saved where you were first born again that that wonderful beautiful time when you were converted, uh, when you were uh, set apart, when you became uh, a participle in the in the body of Christ, a segment of the body of Christ, where you uh, ne- now you know that your future is assured in God and you're no longer living a life that's uncertain of hope and otherwise. Uh, me personally, I do not remember when I was born again, so you guys really need to pray for me. Uh, not really, but uh, I don't remember. I don't have a clue when I was born again. I was I, 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 I prayed and asked Jesus into my heart at least a million and a half times uh, in 33 years of being on this earth. But I couldn't tell you the first time because I began doing it at such a young age. Jesus was always a part of our life. I, I saw him at every turn. I, I can remember different times in my life where, you know, even as a little child, where, where I, I had a friend of ours, and I, I wouldn't call him a good friend, uh, but I had a friend of ours that told me the devil... Listen to me. The devil lived in my closet. I was like seven, y'all. It was crazy. And and I had a a good big brother who every night, what I would do is I would go and I would shut my closet door and then I would turn the light off and I would run real fast and jump in my bed and get under the covers because when you're under the covers, nothing can hurt you. So I'd get under the covers and, and then my older brother, he would come into my room, he'd go, good night, Brian, and he'd open that closet door and walk out. And I was like, oh my gosh. And then one night, I just got so sick of being scared. I got so tired of being scared. I said, that's it. And I got out of my bed, and I walked over, and I opened the door to that closet. I went in that closet. It was pitch black. I shut the thing behind me. I said, Jesus, you said that you are with me all the time. You said I don't have to be scared of anything, and I don't want to be scared anymore. If he's in here, then you got to tell him to leave. And all of a sudden, all my fear went away. So Jesus is real to me. He's not a he's not something on a on a, just on a on a book with leather and paper. He, he he's my savior. He's my friend. He's my everything. I believe every word is true in his Bible. I don't second guess him. I trust him at every corner. And those moments when I find myself doubting, I get my doubt out of the way and I put my belief in in, in front of me on purpose. But in my life, I don't remember the moment when I was saved. I, I remember I went to a church camp one time. 
and and I had I, w- I was probably about ten or twelve years old, and and there was a there was a counselor that you know stayed in our cabin and everything, and he he couldn't have been more than eighteen in hindsight, you know he's just a young man, but he's sitting there and we're having this campfire chat, you know, and everything's going along, and he, he he's asking you know uh, who remembers when they were saved, and man everybody oh, I remember I remember I remember I remember, and I'm like I don't remember, he said then you're not saved, I said what man. He said, you're not saved. I, well, now, now I have a, a significant church background, so not saved, I understand what that means. I, I mean, that means when, when everybody else is dancing on the streets of gold, you're going to be really, really hot and unpleasant. So I, I, got, I got concerned. You know, I got this, this guy who's an authority telling me that, that I'm not saved. And I was like, oh my goodness gracious, what am I going to do? So I said, I need to talk to my dad. He said, son, you can't talk to your dad. He said, you're at church camp. I said, you just told me I'm going to burn in hell. I need to speak with my dad. 10 or 12, you know. They take me to the nurse. Nurse said, what's wrong? I said, I don't know if I'm saved. <laughs> he said, well, you know what? I said, I need to talk to my dad. So I call the phone. Get dad on the phone. Hey, dad. Hey, Brian. How's it going? Oh, everything's good. Except I'm not sure if I'm saved. He said, what do you mean you're not sure if you're saved? He said, you're saved? I said, Daddy, this, this, this guy told me that if I can't remember the moment that I was saved, then I'm not saved. He said, oh, son, listen to me. He said, you've never known anything but Jesus. He said, you've certainly chosen him. He said, have you asked Jesus in your heart? Yes, sir. Do you love him? Yeah, do you trust him? you believe he died? Then the Bible says you're saved, son. You don't have to worry about it. He said, no son of mine is not, is not saved, period. That's the way it is. Bible promises you your children to a thousand generations. That's what he's telling me. He said, now, Brian, he said, would you put that young man on the phone? I said, yes, sir. I hand that guy the phone. He said, he, he went like this. He goes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Then he hung the phone up. He goes, you're saved. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then my parents picked me up the next morning also because we don't risk our children we don't care where they are why they are we just don't risk them but do you remember the moment maybe you can't remember the moment you were saved but you remember a moment like that in your life where it was so crystal clear to you and you felt such peace on your life whenever you realized that jesus had in fact died not just for humanity but he actually died for you personally in the moment in time whenever you realize he could have chosen uh, to leave us in our state of squander in our state of pitifulness in our state of sin he chose not to do that and rather he gave us the ability to live in the resurrected life that only he can provide and the feeling that you got where you were just clean from the top of your head to the soles of your feet even though you didn't deserve it that moment that time that epiphany that revelation changed you forever and ever and ever A lot of times we forget. We lose sight of that moment and maybe that's why we don't fish as good as maybe we could. Mark chapter 1 verse 16 says, Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee and he saw Simon, which is Peter. He saw Simon and Andrew uh, casting a net into the sea for they were fishers. And Jesus said to them, come after me and I'll make you fishers of men, meaning follow me and I'll turn you into people who catch people. I'll make you fish for people. 18 says, they straightway forsook their nets. They dropped what they were doing and they followed him. 
The first thing recorded in, in Mark's gospel that Jesus said to Simon Peter, the one who would stand up at the day of Pentecost and declare that this is that which the prophet spoke of at all, of old, the one who uh, was credited with taking the gospel to the Gentiles through a man named Cornelius, the, the, the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles through a man named Cornelius, the one who everybody looks to, uh, Simon Peter, who was close to Jesus at all times, the one who Jesus looked at him, and whenever he got a revelation of who Christ was, he looked at him, he said, Behold, Peter, he said, there's no way that you could have known that without my dad telling you. He said, on this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail it. The guy, that guy, Peter, the first thing Jesus said to him was not, guess what, Peter? I'm going to let you walk on streets of gold. You're going to see a gate made out of pearl. I'm going to build you a mansion. It was not, I'm going to heal the sick. I'm going to spit in the dirt and make eyeballs. It was not, I'm going to turn water into wine and I'm going to walk on water. The first thing that he said to Simon Peter is, I'm going to teach you how to catch people. That immediately reveals the heart of God to you and to me. The first and foremost thing on Jesus' mind at any and all times, at any moment, any time you can think about it, any time that's in the present, any time that's in the past, and any time that's in the future, Christ Jesus is thinking about the lost. He's thinking about the people that don't know Him yet. He's thinking about the people that don't understand His sacrifice. He's thinking about the people that if they'll just give Him their heart, He'll save them just like He did you and me. He says, I'm going to teach you how to catch people. And then He did something very interesting. For three and a half years, He didn't just teach them how to catch people one way. He taught them how to catch people all kind of different ways. One time He says, here's how you catch a whole group of people. And He said, "He said I fed 5,000 people. He said, I'll teach you how to feed 5,000 people because whenever you're preaching to a big crowd and you're telling people big things, listen, there's a lot of logistics involved. There's a lot of logistics involved every Sunday morning at New Heights Church. If you don't believe me, uh, talk to Mr. Chris Cherico over here. There's a lot of logistics involved that go on uh, in order to win the lost, in order to fish for people. You've got to have a place for people to sit. People need something to drink. Uh, there, there's facilities that people will need if they drink too much. There's all kind of things that you just got to have. And Jesus said, I'm going to teach you how to do it on a grand scale. And he said, I'm also going to teach you how to do it house to house. And he would go to different people's houses and there would be maybe 10 or a dozen or 25 or 30 people in the house and, and he would begin to teach and he would begin to heal people and he'd begin to do different things and he was constantly catching people and people wanted to hear the word of God so strongly and wanted to see the manifestation of his power so much that sometimes they would do crazy things like rip the roof off of the building just so other people could get to Christ. He's always thinking about people. He's always thinking about fishing but he used the term fishing because he was talking to fishermen. If he was talking to baseball players, he would say, I'm going to teach you how to hit home runs for me. He was talking to a football player. He said, I'm going to teach you how to intercept every pass of the enemy. He was talking to a race car driver. He said, I'm going to teach you how to win every race. But he's talking to fishermen. He didn't just teach them how to do it on grand scale. He didn't just teach them how to do it house to house. He taught them one-on-one. And not just one-on-one, -on -one, different types of one-on-one. -on -one because listen, when you talk to somebody, sometimes it's like talking to somebody that you know. But other times it's somebody that you don't have anything in common with. So Jesus taught us not just how to talk to people who have a lot, Nicodemus, in the middle of the night because he didn't need anybody to look at him because he was very wealthy and very prominent in the temple. And everywhere he went, he probably had paparazzi and 16 different assistants and assistants, assistants that followed him around. So he had to meet him on his time period in the middle of the night so he had an opportunity to receive the gospel. Then he would talk about other people like the little widow woman who just gave two little mites. 
And he made her feel so big in the kingdom. I can just picture it. The Bible doesn't exactly say it, but I can just picture it where he says, this woman has given more than everybody else. I'll bet you she walked in there going, I hope nobody sees me put these two pennies in the offering. And as soon as she does, Jesus recognizes her and builds her up. The woman with the issue of blood who comes to him while everybody else is pressing on him and trying to pull something off. But all of a sudden, she's got faith to touch him and believe. And in the midst of all the chaos, he just shut it down and said, somebody has touched me. The woman at the well, who was so bound in sin and turmoil, that nobody wanted to draw water with her. She would go by herself to draw water. All the other women might go first thing in the morning when it wasn't too, too hot, but she would go in the middle of the day just so she didn't have to hear the voices of the people who ridiculed her. Jesus showed up at that right time, spoke peace into a life that was filled with restlessness and regret. He taught us how to win thousands, dozens, and even one-on-one. Jesus spent over three years teaching His disciples how to fish because it's the number one thing on His mind. Mark 8, 36 says this. There's not one single blessing that you could capture. It's worth your soul. That's why Jesus started there. That's why He finished there. That's why everything about His life was focused on catching people. Saving the lost. We might not be fishing as effectively for several reasons. Here's one. God is so good. Matter of fact, my grandmother used to, her and my grandfather pastored Life Tabernacle Church on Highway 96 in Jasper, Texas. And she would play the piano and she had, uh, uh, it was a little baby grand piano and she had one of those mic stands that bends over. I don't know if we have one. And, and what, what I liked about it is they didn't use these little slick microphones that we have. Now they had the one with the thing and then the big foam ball on it, you know. So she would be playing and she'd be playing songs that, that, were, that were old that just still had uh, some, so much power. She'd sing, I see the Lord, I see the Lord. And all of a sudden, the power of God would just fall in that place. But she would say something very interesting, and if you would, just entertain me. Every time she said, God is good, the church would in unison say, all the time. So if you could, help me out here and help me with this. I'm going to go. Ready? God is good. And all the time. Oh, that's so good. She's dancing on streets of gold right now with that big old microphone. God is so good. And here's the deal. Maybe we're not as effective as we could be because a lot of times we're thinking about ourselves. What can God do for me? I want God to bless me in this area. I want God to open the windows of heaven and do this. I want God to change this in my life. I can't witness. I'm not a good testimony for who He is because I cussed yesterday. I'm not a good testimony for who he is because I I watched something six months ago that I shouldn't have watched. I'm not a good testimony for who he is because I don't wave the banner of Christ high enough. I know other people that do. Can I just say this?
Jesus knew who you were when he saved you. He knew everything you had done and knew everything you were going to do and still said yes. In your life and in my life, I'm not condoning sin. I'm the opposite of that preacher. But what I am telling you is it's not God who tries to put the space between him and you. It's the enemy that tries to put space between you and him. So in that moment when you don't feel holy and you don't feel righteous and you don't feel like you should, it's in that moment that you cling to the power of God. You cling to the Word of God and you remind your doubting mind, you remind your doubting flesh that I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm an heir and a joint heir. He's my brother. He's the mediator who goes before me and and talks to God on my behalf. I love this. One of my, my favorite preachers in the world says this. He says, never, ever, 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 ever speak for your enemy. You'll never find me talking bad about myself. That doesn't mean that I won't pray similar to Paul and say, oh Lord, you know, I wish I was better in this area. But you're never going to find me confessing a bunch of nonsense over my life. I'm speaking of things that are not as though they were believing God's going to bring them to pass and not pointing out my faults, failures, and shortcomings. I'm just too busy pointing out everywhere where he got it right. So in our lives, God is so good, and sometimes we spend uh, too much time working on ourselves, and we should. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but it seems like uh, we spend all of our time uh, worrying about the desires of our heart, and sometimes maybe we forget about the desire of his heart. The first thing he said to Simon Peter... I'm going to teach you how to catch people. And then for three and a half years, he showed him how. Him and the other disciples and everybody else who followed him. But in your life and in my life, it's easy to get busy. Another challenge is our comfort level. John 7 and 13 indicates that some people didn't speak about Jesus because they were scared. They had fear. Now, for you and for me, we're not really scared over here. There's areas, matter of fact, this week. I met with a pastor, and he has a sister church in in the Sudan. And if you're a Christian in Sudan, your life expectancy is not very high at all. Because of the Muslims that are over there killing Christians, the same stuff we see on TV, uh, cutting heads off and stuff like that. I'm not glad uh, that they show that on TV, but I personally believe it ought to be broadcast on every TV channel all the time. You know, don't let our children watch it. But we ought to know what's really happening to people over there so that we can pray. Because we, every single morning we wake up, we ought to be kissing the ground we stand on. That we can come to a place like this, lift up the name of Jesus, proclaim the good news of the gospel of Christ, and not have to worry if a sniper is going to shoot us when we walk out the door. So it's really not fear that stops us. It's more comfort that stops us. Some of you may be very comfortable witnessing for God. And I salute you. But but others of us, all of us, we just got to get to the place where we are comfortable. Because unfortunately, fishing is not an option in the kingdom of God. He says, this is what I want you to do, guys. I want you to go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Proclaim the good news. And make disciples. You see, every disciple is a Christian. But not every Christian is a disciple. A disciple does. A disciple does what God would have them to do. 
A disciple is disciplined about following after the things of God. And the primary thing that's on his mind at any one moment is the loss, is fishing for those who do not know him yet. So in your life and in my life, we have to get past the uncomfort. We have to get past the discomfort. We have to get past it and realize that sometimes in your life, you're going to witness and nothing's going to happen. And that's called when you sow seed and it lands on stony ground. Seed is the Word of God. But there's other times where you're going to witness and it's going to fall on fertile ground. It's going to fall in a place where somebody has been prepared by the Spirit of God to receive the Word of God. And it's in that moment, it's in that time where God will use you to facilitate an encounter with His Spirit because the Bible says that nobody can even be saved unless the Holy Spirit draws them. So the Holy Spirit has used you to be the divine connecting point that causes somebody to choose Christ Jesus. Our problem is, is we got to get out of our comfort zone and realize we're walking around with the cure to the world's problems. We're just having trouble telling people about it. So many times in our life, comfort is what we seek. Our own desires, we forget about His. I'll tell you another one. I don't have enough information. I don't know the Bible good enough. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. Listen to me. No, you don't, but He does. What did you hear when you said yes to Christ? Was it a preacher's ability to speak Greek fluently? Was it their ability to enunciate every Hebraic word correctly? Or did somebody go, no, here's what happened. Jesus came down from heaven, left His place on high, was born in the most meager of situations, lived a life sinless for 30 years, And then everything that I owed, he paid with his own blood. Three days later, after paying that great price, he rose from the dead and defeated all the things that could have held him and that still hold you today. Was it something like that? Or was it the Hebrew? The gospel is the power in itself. You're just the messenger. Don't ever think that it's your ability that's going to get somebody saved. You can certainly get better at it, but it is the good news of Christ Jesus. That's why you and me can do it boldly and without fear because the results are not predicated on how good you are. The the results are predicated on how good He's been. Get good at telling the gospel. Get good at giving your testimony. Have you ever spoken to somebody who has seen Bigfoot in the woods. I personally don't believe there's a Bigfoot in the woods because one of the Robertson guys would have probably got him stuffed already. We'd have Bigfoot dynasty or something. But if you've ever talked, and I know a guy, he, I, I see one, man, I, I, got a, I got a picture on the camera that I hang on a tree. I said, well, let me see the picture. I lost it. And all the other bajillion pictures. I got some hair, man. I sent it off to a lab. It's monkey hair. (laughs) Is it a monkey or is it Bigfoot? But you try to convince somebody that's seen Bigfoot that he doesn't exist. You got to call him a liar. I don't want to call my friend a liar. 
Same with you and your testimony, except it's even more powerful because it's got the supernatural tied to it. You can try to tell somebody and convince them with the Word of God, but if they're good at arguing, they might be better at arguing than you are. But if you go, listen, that, that's all fine. Let me tell you what Jesus did for me. See, I was this way. Now I'm that way. My marriage was on the rocks and now it's going great. I didn't have a good job and now I do. I couldn't sleep at night and now I do. I used to smoke eight packs a day. Now I only smoke seven. Whatever. You give your testimony and let the power of your testimony and the blood of the Lamb do its job. The last reason I would say is we have competing agendas. So many times we're good to go as long as it doesn't affect our timeline or our life. But you see, not fishing is really not an option in the kingdom. His his agenda is to catch the lost regardless of your agenda. We pray, touch me, bless me, increase me. But we forget what His kingdom's about. We forget that He said, I'll leave the 99 sheep that are safe and in the pen, that's you and me, and I'll go find the one that's lost. We forget if one coin is lost out of 10, He leaves the 10 to find the one that's lost. We forget that He refused to leave the Israelites captive in bondage in, in Egypt. And set him free. We forget that he refused to leave Moses somewhere out in the wilderness tending sheep, missing his destiny, so he met him in the form of a burning bush. We forget that he refused to leave Adam and Eve stuck in a sinless state, cast out of the Garden of Eden for eternity. We forget that he refused to leave uh, Noah and his family in a world that was about to be flooded. We forget that that he refused to leave you and me in a place of sin and wickedness and darkness, and he chose to give his life that you and me might have the opportunity to choose Him. We forget because our agendas sometimes diverge. But here's the deal. I find it very interesting that He spoke on fishing because a good day of fishing, and maybe you know this, maybe you don't, I'm an exceptional fisherman. I mean crazy good. Like the fish will jump out of the water already cleaned and filleted and get in my boat. Good. I'm an extremely good fisherman. Johnny's breathing heavy up here. I don't know why. Don't pray for Johnny. But a good day of fishing oftentimes starts like this. Wake up in the middle of the night. You got all your gear. You already got the boat strapped onto the truck, ready to go. The truck's expensive. The boat's expensive. I have fishing rods, just the rod, not the real part, that are over $100 a piece. Get all that expensive gear ready. You go to the bait shop to go pick up something smelly and dirty that you're going to put your hands all over. And then you're going to sacrifice that thing on a hook. And drop it in the water just as the sun's coming over the horizon. You're going to have cheese and crackers and Vienna sausage with you because you might get hungry. If you're like me, you're going to have kids, which means you're going to be untying knots all day long. You're going to be baiting hooks and rebaiting hooks. You're going to be convincing them that a fish is worth touching and picking up, it won't hurt you. 
And that's just a typical day of natural fishing. And it got me thinking, I wonder if we got that committed. Spiritually fishing, how good we'd be. If we refuse to let our agenda or our timeline affect how well we fished. If we refuse to allow the dirtiness of either what we're catching or what comes in our boat to affect our focus and our purpose, but rather looked at the end game, we decided to be like God and see the end from the beginning because though I joke about my level of fishermanhood, I've never caught a fish that was clean. Every fish that you ever catch is filthy and stinky. Slimy a lot of times. Only after it's been in the right hands at the right time does it get cleaned up and get put in a position that can actually be useful. But that'll never happen to that fish if it's still swimming away from the boat. You've got to get the fish in the boat. Then we can work on it. We've got a whole team that all we care about is the lost. If you're saved, we love you. we got plenty of stuff for you here too. But if you're not, guess what? Every light bulb, every instrument, every TV that's on wheels, it's all for you. We just want you to hear the gospel. We want you to choose Jesus. We want your eternity to be as sure as the next sunrise. We don't want you living in doubt and unbelief and concern and worry and be beat up by the enemy of God all your days. We don't want that. We want you saved. Filled with the power of God. Changed. And now I just think about it. Do you remember your moment? I I don't remember when I'm saved, but I got lots of moments. The, the moment in the closet with the devil where he lost. It's kind of funny now, but to a seven-year-old, that's a big deal. I remember we lived on a road called Spring Hill Road. Actually, we lived off of Spring Hill Road. But there was this huge hill going down, and I was about 17 years old. And I was driving a 1978 Ford pickup truck that was cherry red and had a three-speed on the column. And I was driving down there, and I remember getting to that point. I don't remember what it was, but I felt so heavy laden and heavy burdened. I didn't have any peace in my life whatsoever. And I'm driving down this hill, and I remember thinking, God, if you can take this from me, please just take it and Instantly, everything just lifted. I'll never forget that moment. I'll never forget when He filled me with His Spirit. Just like the Bible talks about. And all the things that the Bible says happens will happen. I'll never forget. This is one just a year ago. My little girl Haley, my firstborn, was at church camp. I drove down to church camp to go to their last uh, night service because I just love to go to that service to see those kids. And it was one of those moments where everybody was weeping. The presence of God was just so strong. And my little girl said, Daddy, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I said, okay, baby. I gave an altar call for it. She goes up there and she's praying. She's earnest, man. She's praying. She's crying. Just the presence of God is so strong. Just, just amazing. She came back to me and she said, Daddy, it didn't work. 
I said, sweetheart, he's not an it. He's a he. And if you would like to receive the Holy Spirit, he's more than willing to fill you. I have a very diverse background when it comes to church. I've seen it all. I've seen people fake things just to get other people to leave them the heck alone. Because somebody told them, if you don't do this, then you're not that. That's a lie from hell. That's called religion. It's not you anyway. It's Jesus. It's His Spirit. So my prayer from the time my children were born is that it never be fake with them. I just want God. I, I want everything that He has to offer. And I don't ever want them to feel like they have to put on for something. I want them to love Jesus. We teach them about how much God loves them a lot more than we teach them anything else. And they are in love with God. They'd rather sing a praise and worship song and feel the presence of God than anything that comes on the radio. But I'm sitting there and she comes to me and said, it didn't work, Daddy. I said, sugar baby, I said, he's not an it. And if you want the Holy Spirit, he will certainly fill you. Daddy, I really want the Holy Spirit. It's okay, baby. I said, when I touch you, the Holy Spirit's going to fill you. And you're going to feel His power. I didn't coach her. Nothing. In my mind, I'm praying 900 miles an hour. Oh, God, don't let me down. My little girl's trusting you here. I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, because you want to receive in Jesus name receive the power of his presence and when I touched her she began to pray in other tongues like she'd been doing it a hundred years I was not prepared for that I can't think of maybe one or two times in my life when I was so emotionally moved spiritually as well but emotionally moved my, my physical nature was not prepared to hear my little girl without any coaxing begin to speak in a tongue that only God could give her since that day she's prayed in tongues every day we pray in tongues together Those are just some moments in my life. But I would just ask you, do you remember your moment? Everybody close your eyes and bow your head, please.